I've sacrificed everything for wrestling. I pay the price. It's my life. It's my heart. It's my soul. To be the man, you gotta beat the man. And I'm saying, woo, I'm the man. I always wanted to be the man. I could never live just being a man. I gave my entire life to the wrestling business. I paid the price. I am the nature boy. Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. This is a special edition of the Retro Wrestling Podcast as we are reviewing Nature Boy, the 30 for 30 documentary about who else? The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, which Patrick and I watched uh, this past week. And Patrick, just before we get into the review, what did you, did you enjoy the film? Oh, I loved it. I loved it. It was a uh, good glimpse into a much-needed side of Ric Flair that a lot of fans probably didn't know or hadn't seen unless you had met the man personally, so I really enjoyed it. I'm so used to the WWE-produced documentaries, and so the style of cinematography that they used. I especially love the opening and closing shots of Ric Flair in in his current age walking into this empty ring He's got his robe on, but you know, you you can see the signs of age, and all it is is spotlight and fog, and yeah. just walking around, and man, it, it, it's a powerful scene, it, it really was, is. It was almost like... I don't even need to watch the rest of the documentary, because I can see that image, and just the story is almost told. This documentary was put together by a filmmaker, Rory Karpf, which I hope I got his name correct, sorry if I didn't. This documentary came together, he was making a 30 for 30 about a uh, Duke basketball player, and Duke, of course, in North Carolina, he interviewed Nature Boy, and figured, Nature Boy, <laughs> Nature Boy Ric Flair, uh, why aren't we doing a documentary on this? Because Ric Flair transcends the world of pro wrestling. I mean, in pop culture, he's in rap songs, he is, as the documentary we'll get into a little bit later, he's the inspiration for... I mean, Snoop Dogg cites him as an inspiration. I mean, this guy, outside of the world of pro wrestling, I mean, we talk about it all the time. There are two names that you hear when people say pro wrestling, and it's number one, unfortunately, good or bad, Hulk Hogan, number two, Ric Flair. And that's just the way it's always going to be. He's definitely deserving of an ESPN documentary, not just some WWE DVD, which they've done two of them on. Uh, But this one delves into the last few years of Ric Flair's career while highlighting still some of his highlights from the 80s. I felt like they needed to do that because if you're unfamiliar with Ric Flair, you need to see what all the fuss is about. Right, you need to see a sizzle reel of all those great promos, uh, holding the gators up, getting in Tony Schiavone's face, stuff with the horsemen, the sunglasses, the, the jet flying, the limo riding. 
you need to see what made Ric Flair so special. And for wrestling fans like us, that part of the documentary I felt could have been kind of cut. I mean, not. I mean, a little bit of it's fine, but w- we know you right. and I. We you and I have seen enough of Ric Flair to understand the but, character and, and the man. I don't know how many of the thirty for thirties do you watch? Do you do you watch quite a few of them or no? I watched uh, one about Steve Bartman, and he was the guy. If you remember, in the Chicago Cubs game, they were. This was before they won the World Series, but a few years prior to that, this poor guy reached his hand over the fence and interfered with a play that basically cost the Cubs a shot at the World Series, and it was one of the most intriguing documentaries I've ever seen. I really haven't seen a bad 30 for 30. I've seen a couple of other ones. I saw the one about the XFL. I mean... yeah. When you do something wrestling-related, you can pretty much count me in. So, yeah, if if you're not a wrestling fan, you might just think Ric Flair's just another guy. Certainly including all those, that sizzle reel of all the great Ric Flair stuff uh, shows you why he's he's so special. The timing of this uh, documentary was, you couldn't have timed it better. No, it was impeccable. This guy almost died. This guy almost died a couple months ago. Uh, Had about a 20% chance of making it out of the hospital. Total organ failure uh, from years of drinking, uh, liver shutting down, uh, then had many other issues. Uh, liver, very important. Uh, you need that to keep going. You can't just uh, go out and buy another liver. So No. I mean, it also affected his heart. He had a pacemaker put in and stuff. I mean, this right. guy was just ravaged all at once. But he was he was very fortunate to survive, and not only survive, but then show up to the premiere of his own documentary about his life. It's, it's really crazy how it all, timing, all worked out. Now, this uh, documentary was two interviews, 16 months apart. So there's one from 2015, and then there's one from just October of this year. And uh, the difference between the two interviews is, is quite striking, because I noticed in the 2015 interviews, it's, it's Ric Flair being the Rick, nature boy. Being Ric Flair. I mean, just, yeah. you know... Telling, having a good time, telling the good stories. Uh, I think it was the second interview, which they would splice the clips in and out and not tell you which one it's from, but you can tell that this guy is really reflective. He's he's much more reflective in the 2017 interview because he realizes... Uh, he, he just cheated death. Yeah, he's much more appreciative. He's not so braggadocious in the 2017 interview. Outside of that beautiful shot of uh, Flair in the ring with just the spotlight and the fog, uh, the other shot that I found to be pretty uh, pretty haunting is Ric Flair staring in the mirror, or Ric Flair in the bathroom, uh, it's like with a towel over his shoulder, and just the wear and tear of 40 plus years of wrestling. It's emotional. I mean, well, I mean, you see him. I mentioned it to you. You see him take the uh, the washcloth and he's wiping his face off, and he he just happened to hit one of those spots just a little too hard, and next thing you know, you see him start to bleed. I mean, yeah, that, so that, much scar tissue, so much scar tissue, and and the and the the thin skin on the forehead from the years of 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 bleeding throughout the wars in the ring. Uh, it, it's just a a very emotional image to see because it was raw. It was well it, to see your hero, yeah. you know, in, in a state of vulnerability. Right. Yeah. It was raw. It was here. He is. This is this is Richard Fleer, 
not Ric Flair. Yeah, and I think that's something he's had the most difficulty transitioning. When you're Ric Flair for 40 years, transitioning back to Richard Fleer is tough. Right. And he's definitely struggled with it, as this documentary will show. Uh, We start out, of course, at the beginning. Uh, Ric Flair's love for pro wrestling started Channel 11, Minneapolis Wrestling. Saturday night at 6 o'clock. I grew up on the Crusher and the Bruiser and Vern Gagne and all these characters. And I was on for an hour Saturday night, Channel 11, in Minneapolis. But I couldn't wait for it to come on. I hollered at my dad, come on and watch this. My dad could my dad could have nothing to do with it, you know. Just loved watching the business, a fan of the business. That's how he became interested in the business. Uh, his childhood uh, was pretty much skimmed over. Uh, he had sort of a, a rough childhood, even with his adoptive parents. He was adopted about a month after he was born, uh, but he had a very strange relationship with his parents that would be cited throughout the documentary about how uh, his dad, well, his parents didn't even, they might have seen him wrestle three times. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a 40-year career, and they only saw him wrestle three times. Uh, Rick's dad was involved in the theater, and was I think it was very disappointing to him that Rick did not share his passion. They were in the theater and drama, and my, and my dad was the national director of the American Community Theater Association. And my mom and dad traveled on the weekends, and I was running around and liking sports. They couldn't never relate to me. <laughs> As a side note, it, it, it kind of reminded me, like, my, my dad is a drummer. He's a drummer in a in a really shitty local band. That that's another story. But he he's a drummer, and I, so I think they're pretty good. But they're proceed. they're fine. Uh, but in middle school band, it was time to I wanted to be in the band, and it was time to choose an instrument. And so naturally, I wanted to be a drummer because I wanted to be like my daddy, right? And I got a hold of the drums, and it turns out, Patrick, I have no rhythm, and I suck at it. And I remember, as I was playing the drums, I started crying. And it wasn't because I sucked at playing drums. It's because I felt like I let him down in some way. And so, I kind of I kind of relate to Ric Flair. I mean, he doesn't get into the fact that he feels like he disappointed his family. But I definitely get the sense that a lot of his substance abuse comes from that. Like, you know, letting down your parents in some way. Uh, I think that kind of contributed. The only story he actually tells about his father is one time he got busted for using a fake ID and how disappointed his dad was that he was using the fake ID. I'm sure that I, on a regular basis, disappointed him every day. The big one was I was trying to buy liquor at Van Hall's Liquor Store in Minneapolis. I had a phony ID from Wisconsin. And the cops came and got me and arrested me. It was, it was the eve of Father's Day. So my dad had to come down and get me to the Dinah Police Department. That wasn't cool. He just sat me down at the kitchen table and said, why? And I said, I don't know. I don't have the answer. I'm not really sure what that's supposed to tell us about other than that his dad just had very high expectations and Rick Rick seemed like a wild man. Uh, Rick uh, was not very academically inclined. He was in football, track, field, um, wrestling. 
in high school, but as far as academics go, it seems like he, he wasn't interested. And he was a party animal. And I'm sure when he got busted for using that fake ID, it really let down his father. And like I say, as we'll get into, I, I, I do think that contributed to some of uh, Rick's substance abuse problems uh, as we go on. Despite not being a very good student, he did get an academic scholarship opportunity, and uh, he went to Minnesota, and as Rick puts it, why did you go to Minnesota, Rick? Because Michigan didn't accept me. <laughs> That's basically uh, his excuse. He's, uh, a, he's a diehard Michigan Wolverines fan, and so, uh, and I mean die hard. While he was there, much as Ric Flair does, he decided to uh, party. And there was a great story about how Rick would show up at the, uh, so Rick's at the fraternity house, and uh, this man loves being naked. And uh, he showed up at a fraternity house, and he said, uh, hey everybody, check this out. And he goes up to the top story window, and he gets naked. I never saw him at practice, and I said, where the heck is Flair? Why isn't he at practice? Well, his grades weren't good enough. They had a big party one night, fraternities. They'd have the sororities come over. And in the old house that Rick lived in, there was this window up over the sidewalk. And the story goes, as the girls walked up, a light goes on, there's a light bulb above the, the window. And there's Rick, standing up there, starcast naked. Welcome, ladies, to the Delta House. I don't know if his parents gave him a lot of attention when he was younger. Uh, you know, it seemed like he's always, he was always looking for that. And he just shows everybody what he's got. And uh, goes to a party. He's a party animal. And so college was not going to work out for, for Mr. Flair. No. After he drops out of Minnesota, he's like, you know what? I'm going to give this pro wrestling thing a try. So, of course, you call up Vern Gagne, who runs a uh, wrestling school. And Greg Gagne and Ricky Steamboat describe some of the uh, training regimen. This is insane. When I went to Vern Gagne's camp, um, late 74, and um, it was the hardest, hardest thing I've ever done in my life. We went over to this stairwell, and it was a fire escape stairwell. Cement, cement floors, and he had us running. So we'd run all the way up to the top, turn around and come back down. Fireman carry. In other words, get a guy up on your shoulders and walk him up 21 flights of stairs. You just got finished running him, and now you're carrying a guy, and of course, you know, make it up three or four flights, and you lean against the wall, take a breath, you know, and then go up two or three, and like that, and some guys were dropping guys, some guys were falling over. And then you get to the top, drop him, come back down, then he carries you up. Now you drop down on all fours, and he grabs your ankles, and you wheelbarrow up on your hands up 21 flights. Yeah, and Flair did not like it, and he wanted to quit. Yeah. But Vern Gagne saw the potential in Ric Flair, who, by the way, Ric Flair at this time was nearly 300 pounds. This was not the Ric Flair that we are used to. So Ric Flair... This was this was muscle-thick Rick from football and things like that. He had been in the weight room and he had thickened up. Yeah, so Vern tracks him down in a parking lot, according to Greg, and uh, says, you're not quitting. And Rick says, yeah, I'm quitting. And Vern slaps him in the face and says, yeah, you're coming back. And uh, it worked. Then he got in the car and he came and he called Rick. Rick came outside and he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm quitting. I can't make it. 
Hearn uh, open-handed him, knocked him right on his ass. He said, you're not quitting. Get your stuff, get in my car, we're going out to the camp now. You're not a quitter. He saw the talent that Rick had, and there was no way he was going to let him quit that sport. And so Rick goes back to wrestling school. Then they show a clip of an early Ric Flair match when he is the 300-pound man, and uh, that was quite shocking to see because I never see Ric Flair like this. You no. Know, I see him in pictures. Yeah. There's a few pictures out there, but uh, they showed a clip of this match, which I wish they had shown more of because it was just so strange to see. Now, this part of the documentary I didn't enjoy that much, and this is the this was put in for non-wrestling fans, the stupid is-wrestling-fake thing, and they show clips from Sally Jesse Raphael, and I just get so sick and tired of this debate. It's not even a debate. Why are we even talking about this? We wasted time in this documentary. We have an hour and a half to talk about the greatest of all time, and here we are asking Ric Flair, uh, what, do you get upset when people say wrestling's fake? And he's like, no, it's choreographed. Yes, that's what it is. I mean, I just, I really hated this part of the documentary. I think it, 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 it could have been cut. It's a ridiculous question. Flair once again mentions how his parents and his first wife also weigh in about how his parents just did not. They talk about how much his parents hated wrestling and refused to acknowledge that their son was pursuing this career. Then we get into uh, about how Ric Flair, well, more or less stole Buddy Rogers' gimmick. Now... I give Ric Flair a pass on this because he did make it his own. I This is something that can never be repeated again. It'll never work. I, you can't steal gimmicks. No. And he was he was fortunate at a time, especially, you know, this is before cable television was, you know, before people had access to even know who Buddy Rogers were. So the only nature boy you know is Ric Flair. But um, he does give Buddy Rogers a lot of credit. He loved his look, he loved the tan, he loved uh, the flamboyance, but Ric Flair did make it his own, so I will give him a lot of credit. I have, mean, Have you seen any of Buddy Rogers' work? Have you? I mean... I don't watch a lot of that black and white You don't stuff. watch the Golden Age wrestling? Okay. Buddy Rogers, to incite some, some fans like you that haven't seen it, Buddy Rogers, he had the look, and he had the ring ability. He he did his his talking, but he he was just an average Joe on the microphone. It wasn't it was literally the look that was it that made him the Nature Boy. Then when Rick got it, and Rick took his his abilities of of cutting promos, he he that's what made it his own. It was interesting too that he didn't come up with this idea of the flamboyant playboy, rich uh, limo limousine ride and jet flying guy until after his plane crash in 1975 so you got this guy nearly died he's got all these broken vertebrae he's sitting in the hospital and somehow this man comes up with this one of the greatest characters of all time i mean the ultimate heel dude didn't put any gas in the plane no for something uh, so believe simple. it or not planes need gas to fly for something so simple though is a very traumatic experience for all on board and uh and the last thing I'm thinking about in a hospital bed is, you know what? I, I could work on my wrestling character here. 
I'm thinking, I hope I can walk again. That, that's a true wrestler right there. Yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, he I was would, dedicated. I probably would have done the same thing. How can I work this into an angle? I know I can do it somehow. And in a very strange way, I'm not saying this is a good way to lose weight, but he went from 225 to 185 after the plane crash. Now, I'm not saying this is a diet plan to recommend. Now, after the Buddy Rogers talk, we go into our Ric Flair sizzle reel that I talked about, which is all the NWA promos, his work with Dusty, who is greatly, greatly missed from this uh, documentary. It is such a shame that they didn't get Dusty to sit down before uh, he passed away because or he... Or Harley, for that matter. Harley Race was missing from this, and, and I... Love the man to death. I, he's still uh, he's recovering from his injuries right now as well. So well, and I just think you've only got an hour and a half, and yeah. you've you've got a lot of story. You've got a lot of ground to cover, and not and including commercial breaks, an hour and a half. So you've got a lot of ground to cover. But I did think that Dusty Dusty would have added a lot to this, and he's a great talker, and so he was missed uh, from the Dusty uh, Flair feud uh, highlights. Uh, yeah, Piper is definitely missing. One of the best talkers. Uh, it's a shame that we didn't get him to sit down before. And also, I mean, they had some great moments in the uh, NWA before Piper took off. Yeah, the, uh, close close friends throughout the years as well. Oh, definitely. Did that episode of Wife Swap together. It was really... Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, Piper would have... I feel like Piper, Harley, and Dusty would have added quite a bit to this. Uh, to this. However, we did get to see some others... Throughout the rest of the uh, documentary. Then we get some people crediting uh, Ric Flair with just uh, his promo skills. Uh, And I really enjoyed Flair actually crediting Muhammad Ali with basically... Muhammad Ali created the wrestling promo. I mean, the modern day wrestling promo. I mean, this guy... And and they showed clips back to back of Ali and Flair. And you can see where the inspiration comes from. I mean, the guy knows how to sell, and it's not even about being the best fighter. It's about selling tickets. Yeah, and uh, talking talking people out of their money. And then we get some great clips of football players doing the Ric Flair promos in the locker room, getting them hyped up for a game. You're talking to the Rolex. Yeah. Wear it, yeah. Diamond ring. Wear it. Woo! Kiss stealing. Woo! Wheel of dealing. Limousine riding. He was like the Pied Piper to uh, defiant young athletes. Being that cool, crazy, say what you want, do what you want, live this lifestyle, and believe me, he was living the lifestyle. I mean, that is awesome. We're talking about their gator shoes, and they're, they're getting ready to go play football, and they are thinking of nature boy Ric Flair. I mean, nobody's in there, nobody's in the locker room going, well, you know something mean, Gene. I think we could go out there and say our prayers and eat our vitamins and win or lose, it was a good day. No, they're doing Ric Flair fucking promos, and I really enjoyed that. A very odd thing happened in this uh, documentary where Animal, Road Warrior Animal, Mr. Laurinaitis, is in full makeup (laughs) to tell us one story about how Ric Flair loved to walk naked down the plane uh, in his robe. And uh, Sting had a, 
Sting. <laughs> Sting's. This was my favorite Sting soundbite of all time, and I'll include it here. I've got lots of clips to share with you from this thing, but uh, so Ric Flair is walking down the plane. It's full of wrestlers. I guess it's a pri- You know, Crockett had a private jet, right? So Ric Flair's in his robe and nothing else, and he's strutting. He's strutting down the uh, aisleway. Comes up to Sting, his biggest rival at the time. Undoes his robe. Of course he's naked. And uh, Road Warrior Animal says, Flair goes to Sting, Hey Sting, how are you going to handle this? Going from Puerto Rico to Portland, Oregon. Big 747. He goes in the bathroom, comes out. He's got nothing on but his alligator shoes, his dress socks, and the robe. Goes out of the bathroom, goes, Woo! Woo! And he said, Sting. How can you deal with this? And he opened up and he was completely naked. And he was like really erect. I mean, I've never seen a guy have his pants pulled down more than Ric Flair. Wrestling was fun for me. And then Sting comes on and says, I've never seen a man more fully erect. Than Ric Flair. And I know it sounds kind of a uh, little... Uh... Sing says, I've never seen a guy with his pants pulled down more than Ric Flair. Yeah. He loves getting that ass out. He does. Even in the ring. How many spots did he do throughout the years of him? You know, he'd go to climb a cage or something and they grab it, you know, and pull his pants down, show his ass. This is where the documentary sort of goes into a bit of the darker side of Ric Flair. And we go to Ric Flair's first wife who gave birth to David and Megan Flair, and they sort of talk about the downfalls of not having a father around. And uh, I imagine that was a very difficult thing, to have your father on the road, not only on the road, but clearly not being monogamous, not being an absentee father. Yeah. It's got to be very difficult. And David did you know, do that WCW run, but you and I talked before this podcast where I can definitely sense that Megan has some... Uh, definite bitterness towards her father here even though i mean she loves him because he's his, he's her father but i definitely feel like they got jilted especially considering the other two kids got a lot more attention yeah and uh especially reed uh, as we'll find out later the reason i get megan's bitterness is because she even talks about she'll go to a basketball game you know state championship basketball game dad's not in the crowd but then you see a clip later on dad's at reed's wrestling tournament that's got to be tough how could you ever neglect your kids like that so that's that's and having kids now that's tough my i don't want my kids to grow up the way i did that, that's that's for sure most of the time, I would get things from my dad instead of time. He would bring me back like 16 to 20 Cabbage Patch Kids at a time. He would say, I'm going to come to your basketball game next Friday, and he wouldn't come. Things like that. So, and then, you know, after, as a kid, it's disappointing. That's the, uh, that's the difference with having... Uh kids in the 80s while you're on top of the world and running things and having kids in the 90s in wcw where you only have to show up for work mondays thursdays occasional pay-per-view occasional pay-per-view and you're able to yeah you're not running 15 territories at a time right you're able to spend 
you know, three to four days at home. So yeah, Reed and Reed and uh, and Ashley, aka Charlotte, ended up getting uh, getting more of the attention that was needed as kids per se. Rick meets his second wife, Beth, and uh, they got married in 1983. This is Reed and Ashley's mother is Beth, the second wife. Flair's had four, by the way, so. And he's engaged to another one, so he's engaged to number five, so. Fifi, the maid. At the very end of the documentary, gets credited with being a stabilizing, I mean, she took him to the hospital. He was going to die had she not taken him there. If he hadn't met Fifi five years ago, Ric Flair would have already been dead. Being forced out of the ring. Right. Sent him into a depression. Then the thing with Reed hits, and so, yeah, Fifi the maid sweeps in and and definitely I mean because he was he was gonna stay home and die he didn't feel well he didn't want to go to the hospital but she saved his life by dragging him out and yeah. uh, we all thank her for it because we have Nature Boy today I love the story we we've hit around this time area we may have already passed it but the story of him sitting there talking to the uh, the sports psychologist telling him that he drinks ten beers a day and then. Oh, yeah, the guy says, that's not possible. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I've done it for 27 years. And the guy's like, no, that, that your body would die. Your you, your body would quit. And he goes, no, I've done it for 27 years every day straight. Yeah, Ric Flair proves that alcoholics aren't always... We get the stereotypical image of an alcoholic as just a guy on his couch drinking himself to death. Yeah. But this dude is out there, and to his credit, he never wrestled, he never performed intoxicated. No. But he drank his ass off and stayed in good shape. I mean, not I'm not saying he had Ultimate Warrior's body or anything, but look, he stayed in ring shape, had great cardio. He's sort of like uh, Keith Richards, you know, a guy that smokes cigarettes every single day and is somehow still alive, you know? It's just like, it's one of those things. Like, science will one day look back at Ric Flair and be like, how in the hell did this guy make it this long? This was one of my favorite parts of the documentary when they talk about what makes Rick so great? His selling. Uh, they talk about Rick's selling and his ability to uh, sell for wrestlers. They show clips of him, like, you know, giving, giving Disco Inferno some offense. You know, yeah. guys like Hogan, Macho Man, to, even though I love Macho Man and I love all those top guys, they're not going to give them shit. And this guy didn't give a fuck. I'm going to lose? I'm going to lose. I don't care. Whatever. I'll get booked. He understood that, we talked about brands last week, he understood that his brand would not be impacted by a loss because he's that damn good, you know? Yeah. Ric Flair is the only man that I do believe would uh, would step in the ring with the newest guy in the territory, the greenest guy ever, and say, you know what? You're having problems getting him over. I can get him over. And within one hour match... That guy would be the local fan favorite for the rest of his career. Another one of my favorite moments from this documentary is uh, the matches with Sting. And we go to Sting, and Sting tells us that Ric Flair tells him to beat his chest when he's in the figure four. He tells him to fire up. He encourages him. He slaps him. He says, slap me harder. He made Sting a superstar, like coaching him throughout the match. I mean, because I always thought, you know, a lot of that was just Sting, Sting's idea. You know, yeah. I'll just pound my chest or whatever. But something as simple as test of strength, you know. Oh, 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 
In the ring, it's Rick saying, okay, let's do this, let's do that. You know, after he chopped me in the chest over and over, he'd, he'd have me, you know, no sell it. Sting, beat your chest. I mean, he'd make you look like King Kong. He was grooming me. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to go so over the top and be so gracious to me uh, and teach me in the ring the way he did. Flair being able to coach a guy like that, a guy that's relatively green at that time like Sting, and to make him look like a million bucks, to put him on the map. I mean, they call Sting the franchise. Ric Flair is a fucking franchise. He could have, Ric Flair could have gone in there, done the match, called spots, had a great match, and gone home. He went that extra step, not only to have a great match, but to help teach the one he was in the match with. While it touched on it, and I was glad the documentary touched on it, they there was there's so much more they could have added to that on that aspect of it. Well, and we talk about guys, you know, we all love Stone Cold Steve Austin, but when they asked Stone Cold Steve Austin to lose to Brock Lesnar, he took his ball and he fucking went home. You know, if they asked Ric Flair to lose to Brock Lesnar, he'd say, "Sure, I'll go yeah. out there, whatever. I don't care." Yeah, and 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 that goes for a lot of guys. They have too much pride. They think that they're 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 so afraid of losing their spot that they they won't do business, you know. And he he always did business for the most part. I'm sure there were exceptions, but uh, Ric Flair, for a top guy, did more business than anybody else. They take a moment to talk about the Steamboat trilogy. We've already covered that. I mean, phenomenal! What a great series of matches. Uh, Ric Flair's favorite opponent. He cites him all the time. Uh, Steamboat puts him way over. Uh, Flair talks about how he's surprised to be alive. I agree. Then we go... Uh, of course, we have to have the natural comparison, the Mount Rushmore of wrestling, the the great debate, Hogan versus Flair. They bring in Hogan. And this is where my jaw hit the floor <laughs> and remains to this day. I don't know if it's Hogan trying to get in the good graces of the WWE or Hogan trying to prove to the world that he's some sort of changed man. But to hear Hogan say the following about Ric Flair. He's ten times better than I am. I mean, it's like, it's a no-brainer. You know, I got a certain thing that works, and I got different varieties of it. And I used to joke, I've got plan A, B, C, and D, which match do you want to do? You know, and there's millions of ways to have matches with millions of wrestlers, but Rick's just so much better. You know, and some people point to me and go, oh my God, you changed the business, you did this, you did that. But no, I said, you guys, you mean the guy next to me, Ric Flair. He's ten times better than me. No comparison. Debate's over, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, there in my mind, it was always Flair over Hogan, but this ends it. I mean, yeah, you can't have Peyton Manning sit there and say, Tom Brady's the best of all time, and then and then come to me and say, oh, Peyton Manning's better than Tom Brady or whatever. This is it. And I just cannot believe Hogan said it. And it's going to take me a long time to recover from hearing that from Hogan because it's just so out of character. It was the clip of the show, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Hogan talks about how if Flair had left in the 80s, the NWA would have been dead. I sort of agree. When he did leave in the early 90s, it was some lean years for WCW. They threw all their money to uh, on Rick Rude when Rick uh, 
when Flair left for WWF. Two Rude's abilities, he was able to keep it afloat till Rick came back. But they struggled. They struggled. They mildly. struggled bad. The business in, in general was was in a down, starting to go in a downturn, but. Uh, it did stay afloat, and he did return, and thank goodness. Um, it would have been lights out. I think I think the company would have been done. Uh, this is when we get a bit of uh, WWE propaganda, where Triple H takes credit for uh, getting Flair back in the ring when he did the WWE return years later. And he is sort of right, because Vince did not want him back in the ring. I mean, he was in his 50s. Uh, he, he wanted him... As an on, he was a GM. I mean, there was no intention of getting him back in the ring. So Triple H did talk him back in, and he had a, he had a good run, even at his age. I mean, uh, there are performers half his age that aren't that weren't as capable. Multi-time tag team champions in that run. Um, I believe he held the Intercontinental Title at that in that run. I could be wrong on that, but uh, a little bit more of the uh, WWE propaganda here with the retirement match. Look, it was a fantastic match, but Ric Flair did not want to retire. This man, he he's, he was addicted to wrestling. He yeah. was addicted, and it's to quit cold turkey, basically. And, uh, you know, the match went well. Uh, he went to TNA. Uh, they skimmed right over that. Ric Flair had a lot of problems with money. And, you know what? I'm not going to say that it's... It's all WWE's fault because, I mean, Ric Flair, if you make bad investments, if you don't save up, if you don't pay your taxes, uh, you're going to run into problems. But had WWE kept him on the payroll, he's going to make a lot more than TNA uh, probably paid him. And he could have been wrestling still, doing what he loved. And then he could have sorted all that out. So I was kind of uh, upset that they didn't get into that. Then we get into the Reed Flair stuff. And you can tell that this this son, Reed, this kid loved his dad. He really idolized my father. They were buddies. He wanted to be in that life. It'd be such an honor to me to be able to work alongside my father. Not only was my best friend, you know, my biggest hero as well. Uh, he got to spend a lot of time with Rick. I mean, Rick got fired from WCW for going to a Reed wrestling tournament. I mean, he put his career on the line for this kid. Uh, Rick saw all the potential in the world in him. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying substance abuse is hereditary, because it's not. I strongly agree that it is, but... Uh... I think there's a definitely a notion to it. Yeah, you're at a higher risk, absolutely. Right. And so... But at the end of the day, you're an adult, and no one's putting the bottle in your hand. Right. And no one's putting the needle in your arm. Right. You make your own choices. Uh, Rick really wanted uh, Reed to get into developmental, and Triple H, I'm sure this broke Triple H's heart because Ric Flair's his idol. And, I mean, that's why he formed Evolution, so he could be make his own four horsemen, basically. And Triple H had to be the one to tell Rick, I'm sorry, your son keeps failing these drug tests. Reed was trying to come in to work for us, and I would be like, Rick, so here's what came up on Reed's test. Oh, that's impossible. I asked him, said it's not true. Well, Rick, <laughs> the test doesn't lie. Here's what it is. Because it's you, I'll retest him. And you can, you know, tell him, you know, like, so I'm telling you I'm going to retest him so he knows it's coming now. Here it comes again, worse than it was the first time. 
And Rick, in denial, said, Nah, it's just something, some yeah, some supplement, some tainted supplement. That's always that's always the excuse. So Reed goes, wrestles in Japan, does well, stays clean. Um, and this is in the new Ric Flair book. This really wasn't hit on in the documentary that much, but Rick encouraged him to come back because he thought he was doing better, wanted to work some indies, maybe get another tryout in developmental. And, uh, of course, uh, overdosed on heroin, and Ric Flair was the one that found him. Jesus, why? 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 Again, right? And they went in there for five minutes and came out, and the uh, same guy, same ambulance crew, and they said he didn't make it. I said, what? And they said he didn't make it, Rick. And uh, the director of this documentary says, How'd you get over that? He says, I didn't. I started drinking from 10 a.m. till 2 a.m. at night every single day. I mean, that's devastating. And I, it breaks my heart. And, and to see Ric Flair choke up, I know Ric Flair cries all the time. But to see him choke up over something like this was... That was, that was real. That was, that was real. That was, you felt it. That was to the core of, you know... I mean, what... He must feel like, I mean, I don't want to say that he's 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 definitely not a failure, but he would feel like a failure. Right. Like he let his son down. The director also pulls some emotion out of Rick when he says, well, if Reed was here, what would you, what would you say to him? And Flair chokes up, and I can barely understand what he says, but he says, the gist of it is, I, I wish I was more of your dad, not your best friend. And I say it every day. God, I wish you were here. I had so much fun with you. And I, re- I regret the fact that I some, sometimes was your best friend instead of your dad. Yeah. And it's a tough line to draw, you know, because you want to be your kid's best friend, but at the same time, you want to tough love you know sometimes you've got to step in and do it all the years on the road all the years not being a family man rick flair's just not equipped with those kind of parenting skills you know the the kind of tough love you know and he's it's not in the nature of the nature boy to be mr dad this was a tough this was a tough thing uh to see at the end of the document i'll i'll include the clips here uh but I would suggest watching the second half of this documentary. The first half, if you're already a fan of Ric Flair, I think is a skippable. And then, okay, the documentary ends on a really weird spin for me. I felt really weird with the way the documentary ends because Triple H, Triple H sends Rick to rehab, which I'm sure saved his life in some way as well. Got him off the booze. But then Triple H says something that I find to be very shitty. And that is that, in some ways, Reed's passing was a blessing in disguise. I'm sorry, but when your son, or when you're, in Ashley's case, when your brother passes away at 25, there's no blessing. There's no blessing in disguise. Nothing good came of that, you know? And he he credits, oh, well, Ashley found this career path or whatever. I also find it weird to, and I, I talked about this with you too, like, it's your dream to be a pro wrestling referee. 
you want to be the greatest, you are the greatest pro wrestling referee of all time, you know, God forbid you pass away, I don't want to throw on a referee shirt and live your dream. We're, we're family. We're, yeah. We're family. We'll, we'll get sentimental for a minute. We're, we're family. I love you. You're, you're, we're not blood, but I mean, I consider you my blood, my blood brother. But it's, it's just weird that the trajectory of her life, that she's living someone else's dream. Well, that's what I'm saying. That doesn't mean that if I die. Or if I die, you know? Just, that if, if, it doesn't mean though that if I die that I'm going to be like, oh, well, you need to carry on my, my history as, as being the greatest referee of all time. You, you got to quit the radio and you need to go and be a referee. Or or if I die, you need to quit being a referee and go do radio. Right. Because that's what I wanted to do. Right. And so, and even Ashley talks about how strange of a statement that is, but I'm sorry. I just find, I just find it to be bizarre. Look, she's had a successful career. She's great at what she does. She's, she's probably a millionaire by now. So it's all, you know, it's all coming up roses, but you know, when she was a little girl, did she dream of being a pro wrestler? I'm not sure. And so I kind of, I hate that she feels obligated to the memory of her brother to to do something for him. Yeah. And also, in a weird way, I, I feel like she's doing it to appease Rick. I think, though, in some weird, twisted way... I don't. I know for a fact I wouldn't be where I am today if he hadn't died. I know that sounds really messed up, but... Because that was his dream, not mine. Ashley found who Ashley really was. Anyway, I it, it, it's really it's really up for you know. It's, it's a yeah. It's you're right. It's up for it's up for inter, individual own, interpretation right. of, of what this all how you feel about all this. But, right, right. But I just thought this was a very weird way to end the documentary, and uh, of course the documentary ends on the shot as I mentioned, my favorite shot of uh, Rick in the ring. And uh, he ends on a quote, though. He says, you know what? I wasn't the best father in the world. I wasn't the best husband in the world. But I guess I'll uh, set on being the best wrestler in the world. You know, it's easy to say you want to be thought of as the best father that ever lived, but I wasn't. And I certainly wasn't the best husband. So I guess I'll just have to settle for wanting to be thought of as the greatest wrestler and the most entertaining wrestler that ever lived. Nature Boy Rick And it's kind of a depressing statement. It's like, it's... A, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Like, it's... I couldn't get this right. I couldn't get this right, but... I got something right. Right, exactly. I, that, that's what I took from. But it. it's the one. It's the least important one. You know, that's that's the part that kind of bums me out because of those three things, which do you want to be the best at? Yeah. So, anyway, that was Nature Boy thirty for thirty. Uh, I'm gonna go against what you said. I'm gonna say from start to finish, it is a must watch. Not just the the last part. I, I from start to finish, it is a must watch. They left quite a bit of true facts that I felt should have been added into it. But if you had done that, it'd have been like three hours long. So uh, I really enjoyed it. I really did. I think for a hardcore wrestling fan like us, I mean, I'm not gonna say we're like, 
you're a more hardcore wrestling fan than me. But for somebody very familiar with pro wrestling, I would probably only watch the second half of it. Uh, I do enjoy the Ric Flair promos, but you can find YouTube clips. You you could you can spend days watching great Ric Flair promo clips, and uh, you know a lot of the, a lot of the history with Steamboat, uh, the plane crash. A lot of that's very well documented. I think the stuff with Reed, the stuff with aging, the stuff with the financial troubles, the wives. That's the stuff that I that I was more interested in, and so that that happens mainly in the second half of the documentary. So that's what I would recommend watching it. Uh, I'm not going to use the rating scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez because that's for that's for our next show. Uh, as we are doing two shows this week, Patrick, do you have yeah. another? Do you have another show left in you? Even though we've talked an hour, do you have one more show left? Because we can fly through this week's pick. Oh, I can go all night long. That's not what she said. No, uh, that's not, but Rick would have said it. <laughs> yeah, and then he would have said woo in several different ways. Yeah, woo, woo, That was one part I liked, is the <laughs> variations of woos. This yeah. man, because, you know, most people, they just say woo one way. This man says it 7,000 different ways. Oh, yeah, and the fact that he actually has it trademarked is hilarious in my, my I mind. do hate people that take the signs to the ring that put the H in there the who's you yeah. know sign take the fucking H out that's my advice for everybody but uh, that is Nature Boy 30 for 30 I hope you enjoyed this special extra edition of the Retro Wrestling Podcast uh, we'll be back here uh, in just a couple hours well not a couple hours we'll be back Uh, As soon as you want us to be back, because this is a double episode week, a two episode, a bonus. Yeah. As we review Survivor Series 1996, you got on to me about picking a bad show? Fuck you, pal. Oh, come on. Is this some sort of... uh, We will save this for the next podcast. It's fine, but you're just... This is some sort of mental test. You're trying to break me, is what you're trying to do. No. All right. Well, that does it for me. I'm intern Alex. I'm the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my closing line's a clothesline. Woo! You want to believe in something? Believe in me! Between the, the, the Space Odyssey theme music and the robes and the hair and woo! Like, he had such a unique thing. And back then, he was in NWA and WCW, so he wasn't even kind of participating in the boom of the WWF at that time but that's just how impactful he was that he still was regarded as one of the best you can buy these anytime you want for about uh, 10 dollars I got 15 of them you know why because I'm the world heavyweight champion I just what I was doing I mean I didn't give a shit, you know when I kick five girls out of bed I go woo and they go woo 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 because they know they've been with the world champion 